You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hydepark.church. Of the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter 14, if you don't mind turning over there. I want to read this uh, chapter 3 before we get into it. Hosea chapter 14. I, I hope you um, hope you kind of understand, I think you've figured it out, that you know we certainly didn't walk through all 14 chapters very closely. There's a lot more that Hosea had to say. Uh, we, we just tried to give you kind of an overview of it, maybe a, a new hunger and desire to get into the Minor Prophets, especially the book of Hosea. So there's a lot more that Hosea had to say. And remember, in, in the Minor Prophets, especially Hosea, the when you read through a Minor Prophet, um, you're not reading through it chronologically. Uh, it's sometimes um, one of the difficulties in reading the Minor Prophets is we, we tend to read everything chronologically, and it, sometimes it doesn't make sense. If you look at the Minor Prophets and even the Major Prophets, it's more of sermons that they were delivering to the people. There's there's parts where they're narrating and telling about what's going on in the country, and then there's other times where they're delivering God's message. So they don't always fit together perfectly chapter to chapter, and sometimes that's one of the reasons we don't like to read through the major amount of prophets. Let's look at chapter 14, verse 1. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord and say to him, Take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, Our God, to the work of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned from them. I will be like dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. For me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. Father, we thank you for what you have shown us um, in this incredible book. Father, I pray that um, you would stir in us a desire to go deeper into your word every time we open it. To, to spend more time in it, to uh, let it let it change our lives just as it claims that it will, and, and we've all experienced that. So, Father, I pray that not only what would you guide us today, but you would guide us each and every day that we turn our eyes towards your word. Father, the goal is not just more learning. The goal is not more knowledge. The goal of your word is life change from the inside out. Father, we thank you for all that you've done, all that you are doing. I pray, Father, that you would continue to use this church to be a blessing not only to this community, uh, but also, Father, the rest of the world, wherever you give us opportunity. Thank you for all that you've done in Christ's name. 
Amen. On May 7th, 1915, the RMS Lusitania, it was a big, beautiful British ocean liner, had almost 2,000 people, 1,959 people on board that cruise vessel. And it was struck by a torpedo from a German submarine. And the, the torpedo strikes the hull of the ship, blows a massive hole, and it's, it's sinking. There's no doubt about it. The ship is going to go down. No doubt, there's no way that uh, this ship is going to be able to stay afloat, and it becomes very obvious very quickly. So the people who are on board begin to frantically look for life vests. And they begin to search, and of course, there was more than enough life vests on this ocean liner that everyone would be able to have one. And posted all along the deck of the ship, and even on the life preservers they were putting on, was, was basic, simple instructions on how to put the life preserver on. There was an account, um, there was a book written about this particular ship sinking, and there was a, an eyewitness account of a man who survived it. And this man who was on the ship as it was going down began to notice that the majority of the people he saw putting the life vests on were putting them on incorrectly. I don't have any understanding as to why this man recognized it. I don't know if it's because maybe he had special training or it's because he simply took the time to read the instructions. But nonetheless, he looks around and the majority of people either have their head through the armhole or have it on wrong or don't have it fastened correctly. And he's concerned about it. So he begins to take the time necessary after, of course, he puts his life preserver on correctly. He begins to take time to call out the other people who don't have it on correctly. And what's interesting is, is that in the frantic, uh, um, in, in, the, in the craziness of the moment, when everybody's frantic and running around, nobody wanted to pay him any attention. He, he, he documents in his eyewitness account that when he would speak to people about the fact that their life preserver was on incorrectly and that it was very dangerous to end up in the water with it on incorrectly, and he would even direct their attention to the signs to say, it's not me, it's, it's the way you're supposed to do it. If you look on the tag on your life preserver, it shows you right there exactly how to put it on. You know what, you know what they thought? They thought he was trying to take their life preserver. They, they ignored him. And no matter how many times he tried, there was nobody, absolutely nobody that this man approached that listened to him and corrected the problem. There was time to correct the problem. Ship was going down, but there was plenty of time to take the life vest on, put it on correctly, so that you'd have the best opportunity to survive. Well, of course, the ship goes down. 1,198 people died. 1,100, almost 1,200 people died. And this man who gives us eyewitness count, he says that once he was clear of the ship and once he was rescued when the Coast Guard and the rescuers showed up, that he turned around and he looked across the water. And you know what he saw? He saw hundreds of people floating upside down because the way they put the life vest on was positioned in such a way that when they fell into the water, instead of raising their head above the water, it positioned them in such a way that their head was under the water. And when he looked across the ocean after the ship had went down, he saw hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that could have survived if they had only taken the moment to take seriously the instructions that were printed right on the life vest or the ones that were printed on the ship or at the very least, the few people that he warned. He said that there were so many bodies in the water floating upside down. He said that it almost looked like trash and debris, but it was bodies. 
Hosea has been sent with a message of warning to these people, the northern kingdom of Israel, and he's been very diligent to not only proclaim that message, but also to live that message out in his marriage with Gomer as an illustration of what's going on between God and the nation. What does God desire from his people? I hope that as, you, as we've been through the book of Hosea, I hope you've been able to pick up on some themes here because we've repeated them several times, that, that God expects faithfulness from his people back to him. If, if you are a Christ follower, in other words, you have responded to the good news of the gospel, you've had your sins forgiven, you've been adopted into the family, you've been justified and set free, you now have a brand new life, your old life is gone, it's, it's all new, it's a brand new life, and, and, and you are to live out your life following Jesus, then one of the things that God expects of you is faithfulness. What does that mean? Well, if you look at the illustration of Hosea's life, Gomer was anything but faithful. She was chasing after every other man she could get her hands on, just like the nation of Israel was chasing after every false god that they came in contact with, specifically the false god Baal. So God expects faithfulness. He expects commitment. He expects, he expects an evidence of the fact that you love him. I mean, it's, it's one thing to say that we, that we love God. It's one thing to say that we, we sing about and we talk about and we, and we say that we love God and we love his word and we love his church. But, but, is, but is there evidence in your life, fruit, that speaks to that reality? Well, God expects that in us. What's even more amazing is that God enables us live the life he's called us to live. Did you know that? The last thing I ever want you to hear me say is that it's about you getting stronger. It's about you getting better. It's about 10 steps to a better you that you would somehow find the strength within yourself, you alone, to do better and to be better. Well, the fact is you don't have that capability. The moment that Christ saved you and forgave you, he gave you the Holy Spirit. And really what it is, if I can just kind of boil it all down to commitment and faithfulness, Every day, it's a yieldedness to the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. Though the prophet, the prophet Hosea, has said to the people over and over and over again that there's going to be a time where God's patience is going to run out. What's incredible is, is that all through the book of Hosea, we're talking almost 40 years. Hosea ministered for 40 years. Years. You will not, you'll find in the Old Testament over and over again where these prophets, their ministry go for years and years and years where they're preaching the same message consistently, and yet the people do exactly what those folks did on that ocean liner. They ignore the instructions, they ignore the warnings at their own peril. You see, at this very moment, at this very moment, the Assyrians, a Gentile, ungodly nation is about to be the method of judgment upon God's people. God is going to use a Gentile nation to judge his own people and to correct them. And at this very moment in time, by the time we get to the end of Hosea's ministry, Assyria has already ran over almost every nation around the northern kingdom. If you looked anywhere, if you could pick up a newspaper in Hosea's day, of course I'm illustrating here, but if there was a newspaper that was available in Hosea's day. You know what would be on the front page, the back page, the second page, the third page, and from cover to cover? It would be about the Assyrians. It would be about how cruel they are. 
It would be about how that no nation has been able to stand against them. And it would be about where they're gathering now. And no doubt somebody in that newspaper would say, hey, northern kingdom of Israel, you, you've got to be next. God's already told them they're next. Unless they repent and turn back to Him. Hosea, through his message, through his marriage, through his family life, has been one big story and illustration of what's about to happen in the nation of Israel. God has this active ministry in your life. It's called conviction, correction. Live for God the way that He's called you to live. And when we divert from that, when we, when we miss the mark of what God's called us to do, either in our, in our thinking, in our actions, there is something that comes upon us called conviction. There is this, there's this immediate understanding that I have stepped out of the will of God and I'm being disobedient. And in that moment, in that moment, and then the moments that follow where God continues to speak through you, through His Word, through other people, God's desire for you is that you'll correct course. If you're lost, God's message to you is consistently the same. And that is, surrender, put your faith in Jesus, have your sins forgiven, be adopted into the family, be justified, and the message is still the same. The message for the lost person is this. If you continue to turn away from God, if you continue to turn away from the gospel, if you continue to reject the truth, there's going to be a time when the ship sinks. It could be the end of your life. It could be judgment upon this world. It could be the next step in God's prophetic calendar and what he's going to do. But make no mistake about it. Your time is limited. Here's the thing you got to understand. Do not ever mistake God's patience. Don't ever mistake his patience for forgetfulness. Don't ever think that because God is extending you opportunity after opportunity to, to get right with him, whether you are born again and you need to repent and forgive forgiveness of your sins or whether you need to come into the kingdom of God as a child of God, make no mistake about it. Never mistake God's patience for appeasement. Never mistake his patience that he's, that he's turned his eye away from your sin and that, that it's no big deal. Because I believe that's what exactly was happening in the northern kingdom. They took his patience, his long-suffering, and his love, and his grace, and they began to think, it's no big deal. We can do what we want to do. Look at verse 1. It says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Notice, how Jose here and in many other places throughout his messages, he, he lays the responsibility squarely at the feet of the nation of Israel. There is no excuses. There's no other way to get around this. The fact is that these people have broken the commandments of God. They have turned their back on God and turned towards an idol. They have broken all of the commandments, but primarily the commandment that they will have no other gods before him. And because of that, they have stumbled. They're experiencing a drought. At this particular point, not only are the Assyrians gathering, but all the prominence, all the wealth, all that Israel had and was enjoying, over time they've lost it all. And you know what? What's interesting about that is even through the pain, even through the judgment that God is already pouring out upon this northern kingdom, they are still running headlong towards idol tree. There's something about our, our flesh. When we get so down into sin and disobedience, we ignore the very warnings that God is giving us to turn back. It's incredible. In my own life, back, back in times in my own life, if I look back, there were times where I was living in such a way that was not in God's will, 
and, and there was a moments and times there when I was trying to run headlong into that, and God was sending warning after warning after warning. It may be through a friend. It may be through a message. It may be through a song. But God is putting red flags up everywhere to say, you are going down a path that's going to bring not only destruction in your life, but to people you love the most. He says it's because of your iniquity. Look at verse 2. Hosea says, take with you words and return to the Lord. Notice that. Hosea says to the nation of Israel, this northern kingdom, this is the last message, by the way. This is it. Hosea's ministry is going to come to a close, and the people have time to respond. The ship is going down. There's a hole in the hole. Make no mistake about it. The Assyrians are going to roll over this place, but if they will repent, if they will turn back to God, then God will stay that judgment. Look at what he says. He says, take your words and return to the Lord. Take words and go back to God. And here's what God wants to hear from you. Look at verse 2. Look at the latter part of that. Notice that quotation mark right there in front of the word take. Here's what Hosea is saying. Hosea is saying to the northern kingdom, take these words, take something like this, go back to God and offer these words out of a heart that is broken. Don't just repeat them. Don't just say them. Mean what you say. And here's what he says to them to say to God. He says, Take away all iniquity. That word iniquity, we've seen it several times. But what it means is, is evil. It, it really means a heart that is turned towards disobedience and evil. It is, a, it is a desire to do exactly that which is opposite of God's will for your life. Notice this. It says, take away our iniquity. Take away all of it. In that statement, if the northern kingdom comes to this place of repentance, they come to God and they say, God, take away our iniquity. In that single statement, you know what they're, they're doing? They're admitting the guilt that they have. Up until this point, all through Hosea's ministry, 40 years, there has never been an admission of guilt by the northern kingdom of Israel. In spite of all the sermons and all the warnings and all the drought and all the pain and all the hurt, there is nowhere in Hosea's ministry where we see that the northern kingdom turned back to God. But Hosea says to the northern kingdom, go to God and say these words, take away all iniquity. In other words, accept responsibility. It is not your parents' fault. It is not your culture's fault. It is not the fault of your generations before you. It is your fault. Take responsibility for your own actions and go to God with these words, God, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our iniquity. I can't tell you how many times I've done this and, and I, I would imagine that maybe you have too. That instead of going to God and saying, God, I messed this up. I missed the mark. God, I, I got this wrong. Oftentimes what I'll do, even in a prayer, I will say to God, yeah, God, I messed up, but it's her fault or his fault or the church's fault or the community's fault or the world. Or the, and we go on and on and on and we never really take responsibility for the things that we've gotten wrong. Oftentimes, I've, I've learned this over the years. I, I don't always do it well, but there's a phrase that I use in my prayer time, especially when I'm confessing my sins, and that phrase is this, God, I agree with you that that thing that I did, whatever it is, fill in the blank, that thing right there, that action, that thought, that words that I spoke, that response that I had, God, I agree with you that it's wrong, and I take responsibility for that action. It is nobody else's fault but mine. This world that we live in, we've adopted a victim mentality. That victim mentality says it's not really my fault. It's always somebody else's. 
Hosea says to the nation of Israel, you go to God and you say, God, take away all my iniquity, except what is good. In other words, the Hebrew behind that is a little bit difficult, but it, it seems to indicate that Hosea says to the northern kingdom, when you go to him, ask him for forgiveness of your iniquity and that he would receive you back. That's what that kind of means there. It means that, that take what is good or accept what is good is, God, receive us back. We know. We know we are far removed from you. We know there's separation between us and you. We know it. We've heard the message. We're responding to the message. God, forgive us of that iniquity. And when that iniquity has been forgiven, that relationship is restored. Then it says, and we will pay with bulls. We will offer back to you what you deserve. Remember, up until this time, up until this time, and even all the way through to Assyria destroys them, that, that they are both trying to offer sacrifices to a false god on their, on their altars, while at the same time trying to appease God with offerings as well. It's not as though they've completely given up on Jehovah God. The fact is their heart has turned towards a false god. The reality is they're trying to have it both ways. And, and Hosea says to them, when you go to the Lord and you ask for forgiveness and that relationship is restored, make sure you understand that that worship of God alone is going to be the evidence that the relationship is restored. Nothing else is going to get your attention. It says, we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips or the fruit that is going to be the result of the iniquity being forgiven is a restored relationship with God, and that is going to be evident in our worship of God alone. Verse 3, Assyria shall not save us. Now, that's an interesting statement. The reason it's interesting is historically, if you go back and you look at 2 Kings, and you read about the king who's now in charge of the northern kingdom, you know what he's doing? He, he sees the threat coming. He, he recognizes that Assyria is becoming so powerful that this northern kingdom is in trouble and could stand to be overrun by the Assyrians. So you know what he does? Instead of running to God, instead of doing what Hosea says to do here, he goes to the Assyrian king and says, hey, if I pay you some money, if I, if I give you a nice big tribute, would you, would you spare the northern kingdom? You know what Shalmaneser, the king of Assyria, says? Sure, no problem. Yeah, you pay me some money, we'll, we'll just ignore you guys. That's what this statement is all about. Hosea knows that this has happened. Hosea knows that the king has tried to bribe the Assyrians, and he says, hey, guys, God, not only do I know that, but God knows that. God knows that you're running to them trying to make a deal with that nation. And by the way, you might need to acknowledge that when you go to him. Assyria shall not save us. In our prayers to God, what are we running towards? What, what, what are we running to? What, what kind of false gods have we set up in our life that we're running to? You know what would be great is in that prayer of repentance that we acknowledge the fact that the thing we've been running to for years and years and years have failed us, and only God can restore. Serious, you'll not save us. We will not ride on horses. Look at the latter part of verse 3. And we will say no more our God to the work of our hands. That's the key issue, is it not? They have been fashioning gods out of wood and stone and bronze. And Hosea indicates that they had a couple of calves, bronze calves that had been set up. Here's where the repentance really begins to kind of rub on their lifestyle. What the nation must be willing to say to God is that God no longer are we going to say to these idols that they're our God. 
Now, now understand, understand what drove them that direction to start with. They, they would look on the high places on the hillsides where these altars had been set up to Baal, and they saw all kinds of fleshly, ungodly, sexual impurity, all kinds of things that were going on in this Baal worship. And, and that awakened something in this northern kingdom that they wanted to be able to cast off all of the boundaries that God had set up, and we want to participate in that because, well, something we desire. So not only had they bowed to Baal worship, but Baal worship had taken a hold of them. It had, it had rooted down deep in their life, and it was, it was giving them fleshly entertainment and satisfaction. So they're going to have to walk away. To walk away from Baal means to walk away from the fleshly desires that caused them to pursue Baal after from, from the very beginning. Disciples of Christ, there is a... There is a cycle that we can get ourselves in if we're not careful here. It goes something like this. We have something in our life that um, our flesh enjoys. It could be any myriad of things. And, and we begin to give more time and more focus and more energy to that thing than we do to our relationship to Christ. Instead of sitting at the feet of Christ, learning from Him and His Word, walking with Him, worshiping with Him, bending our lives, surrendering our life to Him daily, this thing in our life becomes to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and we give it more time, more treasure, more emphasis. And, and then we get into this mode where we go, okay, I, I know this is wrong. We, we, we sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit upon us. We, we recognize that, that going down that path is wrong, and we know that we're outside of God's will. So here's what we do. We go back to God, and in, in a short prayer, or maybe even alone, we say, God, just, just forgive me of that. I'm sorry. I know that's wrong, and I know that's not the right thing. But what's interesting is, is 24 hours later, or 48 hours later, or two weeks later, we go right back to the same thing. So we get into this cycle where we, we pray some prayer of forgiveness, but we continue to go back to the false God that's set up in our life. And let me just say to you folks, that is not repentance. And the reason you keep going in that big circle is because you've never really turned away from the idol that has crept up in your life. You keep going back to it. You keep giving it time. You keep giving it treasure. You keep giving it your devotion. And I'm here to tell you that that is not the definition of the reality of repentance. Repentance is a change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of actions about that thing, whatever that thing is. Here's the point. Hosea says to the nation, you must be willing to starve that idol to death and get it out of your life once and for all. No going back. Repentance is not going back. It's a turn, a, a change in direction. I'm, I'm concerned that it's, it's, it's at this place, whether you're lost or born again, if you're lost, it's that moment of complete surrender where you say, I'm no longer going to pursue this thing in my life because I know it's not going to save me from the judgment or the wrath of God. For the believer, it's that moment where we know we're being convicted as a son or a daughter of God, and, and we, we sense that conviction, but yet we don't turn away. We may turn away for a week, two weeks, two months, six months. We tend to find ourselves right back at the same place. These are the words that Hosea says to the nation to come to God with. Notice verse 4. This is God's response. If, if the northern kingdom will come to God with this kind of a heart, this is how God is going to respond to them. I will heal their apostasy. Notice that. I will heal their apostasy. You would imagine that God would say, I will forgive them. And, of course, that's included. 
But God says, not only will I forgive them, but I will heal them of their apostasy. What is their apostasy? Chasing after a false god. So listen to what God says here. God is saying, if you will come to me, not only will I forgive you, but I will restore you, and I will give you the desire in your heart to follow me and to surrender to me and live beyond idol worship. This is the amazing thing. So often, so many times, down through the years, when I'm sharing the gospel with someone who's lost, there's this, there's this moment of recognizing that, that Christ is who he says he is. There, there's that moment where a person says, okay, yeah, I, all right, I can wrap my mind around the fact that Jesus died for me and that, and that he, he, he resurrected from the dead. I, I can get that. I've got my arms around that now. Even though it's a miraculous thing, I understand. And I understand that I'm a sinner. I understand that I'm lost. I understand that I'm broken. And I understand that, that I was born into that and that I chose to pr- pursue that. So in other words, they've, they've got all the necessary pieces to take that step and repent, be born again. But something holds them back. Something holds them back. What is it? Well, it's that God that's already taken place in their life. I'm not talking about a brass statue or a golden calf. You know what I'm talking about. Money, fame, power, drugs, alcohol, pornography. I mean, the list goes on and on. It could be any host of things. But there's something that holds them back. And then when I begin to talk about that thing that they're going to have to surrender, you know what they say? I don't know that I can. I don't know that I can can do this. I don't know that I can give this thing up. I I, I know that it's wrong. I know that that I should want to do this, but I don't know that I can. I don't know that... I can give up my addiction. I don't know that I can give up my alcoholism. I don't know that I can walk away from any of this. But that's the beauty of the good news. The gospel says that if you're willing to surrender it, that God will heal you from whatever that is. Not only will God forgive you of all the past sin, but but God will step in. Christ will step in. The Holy Spirit will bring a healing into your life that will, in fact, empower you to live out from under the control of whatever that thing is. That's incredible. He says, I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like dew to Israel. Notice that. I will be like dew. There's some poetic language happening here. That word dew really is referring to God's grace. So in, in the northern kingdom, they didn't have a lot of rain at certain part. At the majority of the time, they didn't get a lot of rain. So how would their crops survive? Well, the dew would come up and it would it would water the plants and it would it would instead of it being like this mighty Russian rain that just washed everything away, it would be a a calm, cooling effect to the plants and it would it would rise up. God says, I will be like a dew to Israel. My grace for all that you've done, my mercy for all that you've done is available. And instead of washing you off the map, it's available to you. And when they respond to God's grace, look what God does. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoes shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Notice this. It's it's really kind of a straightforward thing. But notice that the words that they are to come to God with is basically two verses. Two verses. But notice God's response to their repentance. 
there's four verses of content there that God says, I'm going to pour out blessing upon you. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to allow you to grow down deep roots. I'm going to allow you to bear fruit. I'm going to allow you to return. I'm going to allow you to be part of what it means to be whole with me. But isn't that how you found God's grace? That in all that you've done wrong and all your failings, we turn away from those things and we find forgiveness that God's grace and His love and His mercy is so bountiful, it far outweighs the foolishness that we've been involved in. I wonder why that Hosea would mention Lebanon three times. Anytime you're reading God's Word and you see repetition, you, you need to pay attention to that. So, so God is repeating Lebanon. What is it about Lebanon that, that God says, I'm going to make you fruitful. I'm going to make you put down some roots. I'm going to let you bear fruit. And he keeps referencing Lebanon. Well, it's interesting that where the northern kingdom, Samaria, where the northern kingdom is located, to their north is Lebanon. Guess what came out of Lebanon? Guess what? came out of Lebanon to the northern kingdom. Baal worship. As a matter of fact, Lebanon to the north is like ground zero for worship of idols. And as the northern kingdom moved up to Samaria after the split of the kingdom, this Lebanon influence came down into the northern kingdom and the, the ideas of Baal worship and Ashtoreth and all that happened in that northern kingdom is the result of what was happening to the north. Guess what God says to them? He says, if you will repent, if you'll come back to me with these words, if you will surrender yourself, then I will make you like a fruitful vine in ground zero of where idol worship is happening. Guess what God says? God says to the nation of Israel, you will be a light in a dark place. But until you repent, until you come back to me, there's no way you're going to be able to be light because you're just like them. There's no difference between Lebanon and the northern kingdom. Remember, God's covenant people were given the law to love God, to love each other, and to be different from everyone else, and therefore draw people to the worship of God and surrender to Him. So God is saying, you'll come to me with these words. I'll heal you. I'll forgive you. I'll restore you. I'll let your roots grow deep. You'll be able to bear fruit once again. Remember last week we talked about that that vine that looked really luxurious but was bearing no fruit, God says here, I'll return you to fruit bearing. Verse 8. He says, O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. In other words, God says, I don't change. Nothing changes with me. And he says, from me comes your fruit. In other words, Northern Kingdom, if you want to bear fruit, it's only going to be because you come back to me with these words. You repent, truly repent, surrender your life, and be used of God once again. Quickly turn over to 2 Kings. 2 Kings. I want to show you where this all ends up so that we kind of wrap the whole thing up. I want you to see where it goes. 2 Kings 17. First and 2 Kings, First and 2 Chronicles is like a historical timeline of kings. And we get what happens beyond Hosea's ministry. Hosea preached and proclaimed God's message for 40 years. Look at verse 13. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 13. 
So this is the historical background of what's happening at the end of Hosea's ministry and beyond. He says, Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer. In other words, the, the writer of 2 Kings says that the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom had prophets that were sent to them to warn them, to say, look, judgment is coming. And what was their message? Turn from your evil ways. Keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all that the law has commanded your fathers. And I sent to you by my service the prophets. But they would not listen, but were stubborn as their fathers had been, who did not believe in the Lord their God. They despised his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went after false idols, and they became false. And they followed nations that were around them concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they should not do like them. And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves metal images of two calves, and they made an Asherah and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. Look at verse 17. And they burned their sons and their daughters. Make no mistake about it, that if you continue to follow a false god, it takes you to some dangerous, awful, ungodly places. But the nation of Israel, northern kingdom, had gotten to the point where they were sacrificing their own children as offerings to a false god. And they used divination and omens. They were, they were getting into all kinds of, of a witchcraft. And they sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. None was left but the tribe of Judah. And eventually, go back to Hosea, eventually the tribe of Judah is going to be judged as well. Why did I want you to see that? It's because after all of Hosea's warnings, after all of his messages, they continued their false worship, false idols. They, never came, they did not come back to God and ask for His forgiveness. They did not come back and repent. They did not come back so that He could then restore them. Instead, they went deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in ungodliness. And so it is. And so it is, both with believer and unbeliever. Make no mistake about it that if God is being patient with you, that God is being patient and He keeps giving you message and warning after warning after warning, may, please do not mistake God's patience for the fact that maybe God has turned His eyes away from your sin or He's not concerned about you. He's got a universe to run and, and somehow He's not concerned about what you're doing. Do not make that mistake. Do not think that God's patience has somehow turned into appeasement of your sin. See, on the Lusitania, there was time to prepare. There was time. There's time now to prepare. There's time now to repent. There's time now to turn back to God with those words of saying, God, I accept responsibility for the foolishness that I've been involved in, and I surrender all rights to every other God in my life, and only you are going to reign. There's still time. Time is going to run out, folks. I would hope that you would imagine, I hope that you could understand that all the chaos that's going on in our world right now, I think that's a message as well. And I think it's a message that says to you that, that things are not always going to run the way you think they're going to run, and that things are not always going to work out the way you think they're going to work out. That God is sovereignly in control. And there is a time frame to this. And while you have time to repent, why you have time to get right with the Lord, why would you not? 
Father in heaven, we thank you for the book of Hosea. Thank you for Hosea's life, for his message, his ministry. It's incredible, Father, that you used his home life to exemplify and illustrate his message. But, Father, there is a time that we must approach that, that screams loudly to us that the time is short. And, Father, you've been patient with us. You've been kind to us. You've been merciful to us. Father, there's going to be a time when you know, time runs out. For the lost person, that means certain wrath, certain punishment, certain separation from you. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed another breath of air today. For the lost person, that means coming under the full wrath that is just on the other side of this life, just on the other side of that last breath, just on the other side of the doctor saying we've done all we can do. And Father, we have time today out of your good grace and your good mercy. So Father, may we not waste that time. May we not continue to follow a false God for the, for the believer, the disciple of Christ. Although we've escaped wrath, we've escaped that judgment, that final judgment. Father, that conviction that you're placing upon us is there for a reason. And that is that we would come back to you, live for you, be healed by you, be fruitful by you. Because we don't have the guarantee of another day either. Father, during this time of commitment, whether here or across the internet, Pray that we would come to you just like the same words that Hosea told the northern kingdom. That we'd accept responsibility for our sins, not blame anyone else, ask for your forgiveness, be restored and reconciled to our Creator, and be set free to bear fruit. May it happen in these moments to come. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram, at Hyde Park Baptist.